This past weekend, I was given the opportunity to attend an event in Toronto, put on by vocal and performance coach Per Bristow. At one point, he invited people up to the mic to share what kinds of fears came up for them around singing and performance. As each person shared, I found myself fascinated that the first thing almost all of them said was something along the lines of, I'm so nervous speaking in front of people, or my heart was pounding just thinking of getting up here, but I did it anyway. And I was surprised. I mean, here I was in a room full of people who I assumed loved to share their voice, and almost all of them were afraid of being witnessed, being watched, perhaps being judged. Vulnerability is the first date after my divorce. Vulnerability is starting my own company. Vulnerability is taking responsibility. Brene Brown is a research professor, author, and speaker, and her TEDx Houston talk entitled The Power of Vulnerability has been viewed over 20 million times. Through that talk and her subsequent book, Daring Greatly, Brene has become the most renowned person on the topic of vulnerability. And I will add that my brain and soul are usually left in some combination of soaring, and reeling every time I hear her speak. Here she is in an Inc. magazine interview giving her definition of vulnerability. The definition I use in my work of vulnerability is simply uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Vulnerability is about the willingness to show up and to be seen even when there are no guarantees. And it's interesting to me. I feel that in some ways the word is thrown around these days without the empathy or understanding of how challenging being vulnerable can be. You know, people will say, hey, you, uh, you need to be more vulnerable. In the exact same way they might say, um, you need to drink more water, or you should wash all your fruit before you eat it. For my part, I can understand the resistance around being vulnerable, the defensiveness. Regardless of how some of us might now use the word or think of it, its definition contains phrases like the inability to withstand the effects of a hostile environment, a compromise or lacking, susceptible to being wounded or hurt. None of that sounds very fun. Add to that that we are asking people to expose themselves in a world that seems to have less and less mercy. But here's the thing. We can't dismiss vulnerability. Most of you listening today are creatives, entrepreneurs, leaders. You must realize that vulnerability drives your success. It feeds creation, fuels innovation, dissolves barriers, and expands presence. As Brene Brown put it, though her intention was to outsmart vulnerability, instead, it became the thing that fundamentally um, really changed the way that I live and love and work and parent. And even those who think, I don't need to be vulnerable, that's not for me. Well, you're simply wrong. Because one of your core needs as a human, neurobiologically, is connection. Without vulnerability, there is no connection. Connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. This is, this is what it's all about. And so this week, we are going to get vulnerable. We're going to take a walk through what vulnerability is, why it's scary, how we can reframe it, and why the world so desperately needs it. 
Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, we're getting vulnerable. Heart Leadership speaker Bobby Umar shares his vulnerability with us, and more details on Where There's Smoke events in Toronto, Vancouver, Chicago, and New York all this month. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. So I've spent the last three years on a journey into the world of American shame. Um, I've been to the houses of people who were destroyed by nice people like us on Twitter. What's become of us? That was John Ronson, author of the book So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which revolves around the reemergence of public shaming as an internet phenomenon. Recently, John's book, as well as Monica Lewinsky's TED Talk, have heated up the conversation around cyber shaming, cyber bullying, and how we attack people through the internet. The double-edged sword at play here is not only does an environment like this deter people from being vulnerable, but it is fear of vulnerability itself that is often at the root of these attacks. Reading up on psychological projection, which is the externalization of a person's negative traits, I came across this passage on bullying. A bully may project his or her own feelings of vulnerability onto the target of the bullying activity. Despite the fact that a bully's typically denigrating activities are aimed at the bully's targets, the true source of such negativity is ultimately almost always found in the bully's own sense of personal insecurity and or vulnerability. And so out of our fear of facing our own selves, we attack others. In a 90-minute talk on Chase Jarvis Live, which I highly recommend watching, and of course, I'll put a link in the show notes with everything else, Brene Brown adds her own insight into this epidemic. She suggests its source sometimes comes from the dichotomy of being raised with the belief that vulnerability is weakness and at the same time being told that we need to be brave. For sure. So here you've got this thing where vulnerability is weakness, but you need to be brave and courageous. So really the only thing that can fit through that gauntlet of you can't be vulnerable but you need to be brave is bravado. Sure. I'm talking about if I can't be vulnerable but I have to be brave, what's left except to fake being tough? And I think the way we fake being tough in our culture today is we're super cynical, we're super critical of other people who are putting themselves out there, we make fun of things, that's how we fake bravery. And so we live in this world where those who choose to be vulnerable are often on the receiving end of those dishing out bravado. One of those acts takes courage, while the other one is cowardly. And the cycle can become debilitating to everyone's growth. So what is it that causes this resistance to vulnerability? Why is it that we so often cower from it? In a 2013 article in Psychology Today, Stephen Stosny describes your core vulnerability as the emotional state that is most dreadful to you. And in reaction to, you develop the strongest defenses. For most people, either fear or shame constitutes their core vulnerability. If fear is your core vulnerability, then the things you most dread involve the possibility of harm, isolation, deprivation. If shame is your core vulnerability, the things you most dread involve a possibility of failure, inadequacy, loss of status, and what other people will think. 
Stephen Stosny uses an example of homelessness, and I quote, Everyone dreads homelessness, but we especially dread different things about it. The fear-driven cite harm, isolation, and deprivation as their primary fears about living on the street. Someone would hurt me. No one would care about me. I'd freeze, starve, and couldn't bathe. The shame avoidant claim that what they could least tolerate about having to live on the street is being seen as a failure. I couldn't hold my head up is a common response. Somehow the cards feel like they're stacked against us when it comes to being vulnerable, which makes no sense if you think about it. Vulnerability, it's just connection, and we are all connected. That's a fact. So all we need to do is let that be, and yet we fight it. Now, as we discussed in our courage episode, when we have a fear, it is not about removing it. The phrase no fear is a fallacy, and perhaps that's why that particular clothing line filed for bankruptcy in 2011. And so it's not about eliminating something that will always exist. It is about countering it with something that is more powerful. So if your fear is that you're not worthy or of what will happen or what people will think, you must find ways to move through your fear because we all need to be vulnerable. We need to connect and we can do that in many ways. You know, vulnerability does not have to be a conversation with someone or directly telling someone how you feel. Different people find different ways to be vulnerable, but in the end, our goals are the same. In 2004, I released an album that was as much a confession as it was an artistic endeavor. And before Nick and I started Where There's Smoke, Nick hosted a podcast called One Degree of Separation, and of his own admission, it was as much an avenue of vulnerability as anything. And other people do this through filmmaking, poetry, landscaping, personal fashion, home decoration. There are infinite ways to show up and be seen, to let the world know who you really are, regardless of who they think you should be. But this process of opening up, of being vulnerable, it takes guts, right? Because as we just said, there are people out there, like snipers on rooftops, just waiting to take you out, just waiting for you to give them something to attack. Being vulnerable is about being honest with the world about how you feel and who you are. Caitlyn Jenner stepping out for the first time in the pages of Vanity Fair. And Perhaps the most obvious recent example is Caitlyn Jenner. Think of the enormous pressure she must have felt to be the person that we wanted her to be, to simply stay the course of our expectations of who she was. In one of the released excerpts of her Vanity Fair cover story, Caitlin truly highlighted the importance of finding strength to be vulnerable when she said, If I was lying on my deathbed, and I had kept this secret and never did anything about it, I would be lying there saying, you just blew your entire life. You never dealt with yourself. And I don't want that to happen. You only get one shot at this whole life thing. And while you could spend time dealing with how you think everyone will respond to you, in the end, as Caitlin said, you need to deal with yourself. And while in Caitlin's case, there were some who took their shots, it's pretty clear that she was rewarded for her honesty by people who just wanted her to feel comfortable being herself. Guinness World Records has confirmed that Jenner now holds the title for the fastest time to reach 1 million followers on Twitter. The title was previously held by President Obama, who joined Twitter a couple weeks ago. There will always be critics. 
always be bravado. That's easy. Yet as hard as their words may land at times, we can't just shut everybody out. Because in doing that, we become them in a way. Again, here is Brene Brown in conversation with Chase Jarvis. When you don't care at all what anyone thinks, you lose your capacity for connection. When you are defined by what people think, you lose the courage to be vulnerable. There is a need for balance, an awareness of what you are letting in and out. When people are struggling with handling negative feedback, the first question I always ask is, tell me how you take in positive feedback. And what I almost always find is that people who take negative feedback really personally also take positive feedback really personally. Think about it. Someone says something vaguely positive and they soak it in. They love it. And then they expect to somehow block out the negative. But it's like the aperture of a camera. The more light you want to let in, the wider you open it up. Well, if you do that, then feedback, both negative and positive, will flow in and be absorbed at the same intensity. And so if you told me that you had a hard time dealing with negative feedback, comments, opinions of you, I would have you work on how you embrace the positive ones. Tone that down and the aperture narrows. These days, I feel like I have much more courage to be vulnerable. But I wasn't always that way. And I especially wasn't that way in positions of leadership or any scenario where I wanted people to respect me, follow me. In those situations, I had definitely bought into the idea that vulnerability was a weakness. And that to be an effective leader, people had to see me as someone who had it all together. But that all changed with an experience I had back in 2003. I was leading a staff of about 25 people for a four-day personal development course happening in San Francisco. We were about six weeks out from the event and I hosted our first meeting at my house. I had this small back deck and we all squeezed in 20 people sitting shoulder to shoulder. We would often start these meetings by having everyone share how they were feeling, what was going on for them. I started by sharing how excited I was about the class and a bit about how I was feeling personally in my life. And then we started to go around the circle. And one by one, people shared. And as they did, it was just so blah. You know, everybody was saying the right thing, but nobody was saying the real thing. There was this shallowness to the shares, no vulnerability, no connectivity. Now what this group wasn't aware of and what I haven't shared with you yet is that at the time I was going through one of the toughest experiences I've ever grappled with. And I had a ton of shame around it. And I didn't want to share my shame with anyone, especially these people. You know, I feared that they wouldn't respect me. I couldn't lead them if they realized how messed up I really was. But at the same time, as we went around the circle, I couldn't just sit there any longer and listen to everyone drone on about nothing. And so as it started to drizzle rain, I stopped the person talking and I just spoke. Guys, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop you guys. I'm so sorry, I just, I feel like none of us are really being honest right now. And that actually starts with me because I haven't been honest with you guys. I'm actually not doing great right now. I'm going through something really tough and it's hard for me to talk about because there's a lot of people involved and I, I, I want to respect everyone's privacy, which makes it even harder because I feel lonely. I feel like I can't share it with anyone. And, but it's one of the toughest things I've ever dealt with. 
in my life and I the worst thing is I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how to be a good person in this scenario and I don't really know what that looks like and so I'm getting ready for this meeting and I'm waiting for y'all to arrive and I'm thinking that somehow I gotta like get it together and pretend like everything's cool and I've got it I've got a handle on it because like I feel like if you knew what was going on you you wouldn't follow me that I've, I've got to have it together and and I'm a bit ashamed really I'm just having a hard time and so I don't know now like if I say this to you guys I don't know what you're gonna think or feel but I just realized as we're going around the circle that I you know if we're not honest if we're not vulnerable then how are we going to expect the class to be that and so I just want you guys to know that I'm struggling but but I'm moving anyway after I broke down and shared everyone started to share again and this time it was real there was joy pain fear struggle shame all of it People shared what was really going on for them, and as they did, the drizzle turned into a pouring rain, and there we were underneath this covered deck, rain pouring down, a group of 20 people, fully open, alive, connected, compassionate, vulnerable. And we went on to create an amazing course for the participants involved. And it all started with that one moment on the deck, in the rain. I learned that day that you don't need to be perfect to be a leader. People won't follow Superman. I mean, they want him around for protection, but they can't relate to him, understand him. A great leader is not someone who feels no pain, who doesn't struggle, who never falls down, who always knows the answer. A great leader is someone who feels pain, struggles, falls down, isn't sure, and he or she does it anyways, gets back up, perseveres, and figures it out. People don't want to follow Superman. They want to follow a woman, a man. The super for us comes as a result of letting ourselves be that vulnerable human being. As Brene Brown says, the courage to show up and be seen, that is truly super. And in those situations where others try and make you feel less worthy, remember in most cases, those attacks on you are really veiled screams for help. They are others saying, I don't think I'm worthy. People projecting anger from a part of themselves they have yet to embrace or envy for a part of themselves they have yet to express. And so we must not only lead with vulnerability, we must lead with compassion. We must be vulnerable both in how we act and in how we react. And yes, this will be hard. This is not news for anyone. Feeling vulnerable can be terrifying, but it pales in comparison to the long-term agony of continually suppressing who you are, how you feel, what you think. Through expressing your true self, you might push some people away, but realize in the process, not only will you be that much closer to the people who truly care for you, you'll be closer to being the person that you were meant to be. And that, oh, that will feel so good.
Hey, hey, listeners, Brett here. So as we mentioned last week, Where There's Smoke is starting to do meetups and live events. I was thinking this segment should be called Where in the World is Where There's Smoke. Do you guys remember Carmen Santiago? Where in the world is where there's smoke? So, you know, if anyone out there wants to mock up a, a theme for this segment based on that, uh, you know, we would totally use it. Anyways, full information on all these events will be going out in an email this week and in following weeks. So be sure to join our mailing list on our website. We'll also be sharing info on FB and Twitter, though you could easily miss it there. All right, here we go. So first off, Toronto, this is new. Thursday, June 18th, this event will be a presentation and social. I will be doing a 30-minute talk, followed by a Q&A, followed by socializing and connecting over refreshments or cocktails. Location to be announced this week, it will be in the downtown core. Vancouver, Wednesday, June 24th. This will be a meetup and social. Lots of conversation over food and cocktails. The location is Nickley's Next Door in Gastown. It's owned by a great friend and a fan of the show, so I know he's going to treat us all like royalty. This will be happy hour rolled into the evening. So come at 6 p.m., come at 8 p.m., whatever. We will be there. New York City, Thursday, June 25th. Now, last week we said it would be on Friday. It's now moved to Thursday, June 25th. This will also be a social meetup, conversations, and cocktails. Location is being confirmed, though it will be in Manhattan. And this will also be a happy hour into the evening event. So I'm thinking start time will probably be about 5.30ish. Lastly, we announced a meetup in Chicago with Nick and I last week, and unfortunately, something's changed in my schedule, and I'm no longer able to get to Chicago in this trip. However, Nick will be there, and he would love to meet up with you for coffee, conversation, Cherry Coke Zero, whatever. And I can tell you that Nick's time is worth mucho dinero, so if you can steal some of it for free in Chicago, do it. Email us or tweet at Nick to arrange a meetup in Chicago. Again, be sure to get on our mailing list to receive complete details of these events and future events. We so look forward to meeting all of you out there in the world. For this episode on vulnerability, I decided to reach out to Bobby Umar. Bobby is a professional speaker with a focus on heart leadership a four-times TEDx speaker, a Huffington Post blogger, and has expertise in personal branding, networking, and social media. And all that said, I wanted to talk to Bobby for this episode because my experience of him since we met last year has consistently been one of authenticity. He has over 300,000 followers on social media, real organic followers, and I'm sure his vulnerability is a big part of why. I didn't know it would come out of our conversation, and as it happened, it turned out that Bobby really brought this episode home for me, and hopefully for you. He gets vulnerable with us and shares a story which characterizes so much of what we talked about in Act One. You talk about influence, and like you said, I mean, this is your expertise, networking, connecting. We can't do any of that unless we actually know people, unless we know what's going on for them, right? Yeah, there's two parts of this. One is, you know, being vulnerable to what you're going through. You're more aware of your values, what you care about, what strikes your emotional core, what causes your emotional, you know, whatever it is. You know, if you're feeling emotionally negative, why is that? Like when you think about what you're vulnerable about, that makes you, gives you a better sense of that. But then secondly, you're much more likely to understand or probe into someone else's vulnerabilities. So you can actually be more, more understanding. You can actually find the, the points about them that make them vulnerable. So that to me is that what makes it doubly connective is that you understand yourself better, but you see other people better uh, in that way as humans. Yeah. 
one of the things we were talking about uh, around this show, my, my partner and I never actually made it into the episode, but just, you know, this idea of how we, how we exist on social media, right? Mm-hmm. There's, oh, yeah. you know, there's that saying that, you know, Facebook is where you go to lie to your friends, right? And, <laughs> and, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, being vulnerable is not about spilling all your secrets. It's not about everybody has to know everything about you, but it is about being real. And you don't want to make them all uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that I, I really, you know, I, I, I admire from you and I learn from you sometimes as well is just that I think you're really authentic uh, on, on social media. And I think that that, you know, that is inspiring and, and, and it gives other people permission, right? And Nick and I were talking about this too. Sometimes what we find is that when people are real on social media, that they actually get a lot of flack for it because there are people out there who just like, who are thinking, hey, this is a place where we're just all happy. Like, do you ever get any flack for it? Well, I mean, I'll tell you the probably the biggest vulnerability story I've had on social media, which was about. I'm going to be very, I'm going to be very honest and raw with you right now. Okay, so about a year and a half ago, November 2013, I had this thing in my head uh, for about six months, and I finally typed it out and I made a Facebook status, and it was called "What the f is wrong with me?" And in that, I admitted to being a food addict. I admitted to binge eating. I admitted to lying to my wife and my kids and to my family, and my friends about having meals uh, when they weren't around. So, for example, before my wife and kids came home, I would have a complete meal at 4 o'clock and then at 6.30 have another meal. And when they went to bed, sometimes I'd have another meal at 9.30 when they weren't around. And I talked about my health issues and how I was on four drugs. I'm I'm diabetic now and I was on four different drugs. My A1C counts were getting out of control and I felt lost and I felt hopeless and I felt... Like I was, I was a loser and I, and I hated the way I looked, the way my body looked. And I put this all in five major points on what the F is wrong with me. And I typed it all out. And then I was like, do I share this with my friends, with my friends minus my family in public? And I was like, you know what? I hit public and click send and I put it out there. And I forgot about it for the next six hours because I didn't want to deal with it. But it was, it'd been in my head for six, six months and I really wanted to get it out there. Now, when I came back that evening, there was tons and tons of comments and messages and likes and all that kind of stuff, and people reached out, and it was an incredible, incredible experience because it was so raw to put out, put out there things that no one had known about my binge eating or my food addiction or my, my, my drugs and the stuff that I, not, not my, not drugs, drugs, but, you know, <laughs> prescription yes, drugs. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you, like, you know, no one from my family responded for four days, right? And the first one that did was my cousin who... Second cousin, and he says, holy cow, I can't believe you said that. Like, whoa, dude, that was ridiculous. That was powerful. And I said, you're the first family member that, you know, has responded. Because I knew it would make them uncomfortable. You know, my mom, my mom calls me every once in a while and says, you know, don't share this, don't share that. And that's fine. You know, that, that's, that, those are her values. But um, I definitely got a lot of flack for that, uh, for, for sh- completely oversharing all my troubles. Uh, but at the time, you know, I was like, I really was looking for help and I really didn't know where to go. And I felt that it was the best move I could make and uh, and just put it out there because maybe someone will step up. And I've learned over the years that when you put yourself out there and you ask for help, and that's one of the hardest things in the world to do is to ask for help, especially if you're if you have a brand of being a thought leader, if you, if you, brand, if you have a brand of being someone who's always on the ball and always confident, and always got his, his stuff together, right? Um, to be able to do that. And I think that I gained more from putting that out there than I can ever imagine because it started the movement of fit in my life where I'm trying to get fit in my life 
and I'm trying to make everything fit in my life. And from that, I got a trainer, I got a nutritionist, I got friends who wanted to help me out. And even six months after doing that, when I share, you know, my fit in my life update or I lost weight or I have back problems, whatever it is, right, I still feel guilty. I really do. Uh, I still feel guilty that oh, I'm putting it out there and I'm boring people with my, my problems. But ultimately, I know it serves me to do that because one of my ways to success from a fitness perspective is to be accountable. And so when I put it out there, I'm more accountable. Yeah, yeah. I love that, man. And, and I think that's you know one of the big things that I just pulled from that when we talk about vulnerability and vulnerability is connection. And people who listen to this show know that you know my motto and, and it's kind of becoming the motto for the show is that we're all in this together. And yeah, people can't support you if they don't know what's going on. Yeah, and, and you know one of the things that everyone talks about is you know building your tribe, <laughs> you know building your tribe, building your choir, and that's all fine and dandy. But what I find is you know. It's got to be a tribe that's based on things that are real and part of our lives. And I and I, I struggle with that all the time. I mean, even now, like, I, I have parent friends, you know, you know, because I have kids and we hang with parents. And I still find that when I'm with my, my parent friends, you know, like, we don't get into the nitty-gritty, the stuff that's really important. Because I want to get into it. Because I'll tell you, here's the other thing about vulnerability. Every time I open up about health problems, I find dozens who have health problems. Every time I open up about my career feelings and feeling lost and feeling constrained or feeling trapped, there were dozens of people who felt that way. Every and, and, and even deeper, every time I opened up about things like my food addiction or infertility problems, there were dozens of people who were like, wow, you have infertility problems too. So nice to be able to talk about it because it's such a deep personal topic. Everybody has marital problems. Everybody has, some, a lot of people have fertility problems and we all have marital problems and when I share some of my struggles, oh, you know where I'm struggling too. But the thing is, we go about our whole day, our whole lives, and we meet all these these parents and their friends, and you know, we talk about our kids and the challenges we have. But often it's very surface level. We don't actually get into the real nitty gritty because I find that we, when when I actually open up about these things, fertility and marital problems and communication problems and relationships and and children, you know, and things that make us angry about that. Then I find a dozen more who are who come out, and and that's the tribe. That becomes way more powerful and way more valuable to me than the ones that aren't willing to talk about anything. I want to thank Bobby Umar for not only taking the time to speak, but for showing up and letting himself be seen. If you want to be better in this world, Bobby is worth spending time with. Find and follow him on Twitter. Search for Bobby Umar. That's U-M-A-R. I encourage you to check out his website, rayallen.com. That's R-A-E-A-L-L-A-N.com. And while there, take a look at two things. One, a 12-week networking mastery coaching program that Bobby just launched. People throw around the word networking all the time, but few people really get it. Bobby does, and he can help you. And number two is Discover Your Personal Brand Conference, which is happening in Toronto in August. Two days, speakers, keynotes, panels, workshops. I'm going to be there. It is going to be tremendous, tremendous value. Check that out. Thank you again, Bobby, for taking the time and bringing so much value to today's show. Like American Pharaoh, we are in the home stretch. To anyone who shared their passion for the show this week with others on social media, by email, text, or word of mouth, we are beyond grateful. Thank you. Find us on social media. On Twitter, I am at Brett Gaida, and Nick is at Podcast Monster. And you can also find Where There's Smoke on Facebook. 
For the Twitter love this week, thank you, Heather Parody, Sandra Montanino, Eric Jorgensen, and at Cabaret Fit. Many great iTunes reviews this week. A few shout-outs. Don Hutchinson from the USA. Alex Kipp. Hey, I care. 13 Victor C. who said, true craftsmanship. And Glenart81 who said, all I can say is wow. Join our mailing list by phone. Text the word SMOKE to 66866 and you'll be in. Or go to our website, www.wherethersmoke.co. There you will also find a link to show notes, which includes a list of all the clips used in the show. Every week, Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski have the guts to show up, be seen, conceptualize, craft, construct, and release where there's smoke to the world. If you're interested in working with Nick and Podcast Monster, check out podcastmonster.com. You want me to come do a talk, workshop, training, or just buy me a coffee? Send me an email at connect at where there's smoke. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod, Broke for Free, and a few others. Check the show notes for that. Our MVP of the week is definitely Brene Brown. Her research and perspective in vulnerability is unparalleled. Don't let her TED Talk be the only thing you see or read from her. And finally, a public service announcement. Remember, vulnerability is about having the guts to show up, not about spilling your guts. What the worst thing I ever done? I mixed up all this fake puke at home and then I went to this movie theater, hid the puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then then I made a noise like this. Take care of yourself out there. We love you. We'll see you next week. And then I dumped it over the side. Oh, and all the people in the audience, then, then this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I never felt so bad in my entire life.